0: Welcome to an episode of Consider This. Uh, I'm I'm Ryan Vincent. I have with me Justin Ebert, uh, youth minister, high school minister, Jim Johnson. Um, he just likes to be called a minister, um, even though I think his title is lead minister. Well, but you could say the same thing about everybody. Yeah. So
1: Justin likes to be called a minister. A minister, but really his title is youth director.
0: Yeah, but he doesn't like. It's not like he fights against it like you do. You you,
2: don't.
0: You don't. You don't put up a big fight. fight fight, Yeah, you don't. You don't really prefer it. It bugs me because
1: people will bring it up and they'll say, "Hey, are you the minister?" Mm -hmm. And I just think that I really do. I I get what they're saying, and it just it sounds weird. It's not even like a, a you know, you guys both know this. It's not like some false sense of humility. It's just. Mm -hmm. It's just goofy to me. Yep. So, it's kind of like how is what I'm doing anyway.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good point. One of our better intros. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Only 48 seconds long. Now you uh, see why my yeah. sermons kind of just
1: he's out of the gate. <laughs> they start. <stomp>. He's, <laughs> and they keep he's getting starting. ready to leave the gate.
0: How do you and start your sermons? Almost off <laughs> and he's getting ready to leave. How do you start your sermons slowly yes. and over a long period of time? Over a long period of time. <laughs> I am the uh, the crock pot of sermon masters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're in here today to, uh, to discuss um, a small section out of the epistle known as 1 John, and we'll specifically be focusing in on chapter 4, which is uh, the real love chapter. Oftentimes people will describe it as 1 Corinthians 13, but this is, uh, I think, the reason we go to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, usually we'd be, we'd be better off going to 1 John 4. Um, and so we're going to be talking about the connection between the love of God um, on display for us and 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 how that relates to our love for one another is the key phrase in the text. And um, this didn't come out of nowhere, so I'm going to now let Jim describe um, why we're actually having this particular conversation um, now as it relates to another class that he is doing some work in.
1: Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're teaching this on our Tuesday Bible study. We're dealing with the question of the great chapters of the New Testament. And uh, 1 John chapter 4, I think, is one of the great chapters of the New Testament because it does exactly like you said. It describes love in some of the most concrete terms. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we go to find a lot of the descriptive terms, uh, patient, kind, and slow to anger, and uh, does not remember wrongs. But in terms of the theological connection, which is what we're really dealing with right now, is the theological connection between that uh, the love that we have for God and the love that God has for us, and then therefore the love that we have for one another. So how do those things naturally fit together? And so when you look at 1 John chapter 4, John is writing to his people um, in the church at Ephesus, and he's helping them recognize that the concept of loving God and caring for him has to be intrinsically connected to the love that we have for one another. And if not... Um, as John likes to say, there is a lie, there is a falsehood mm-hmm. that actually exists in you. And so, you know, we always want to talk about what are these checks and balances or even the idea of like the theoretical versus the practical. And here in the text, it, it, it deals with it. It basically says, if we are theoretically saying that we love God, then we will actually see that being um, developed and uh, as a natural application with one another. So
0: that's what we're dealing with. Yep. And... Um we're actually going to. I want to start with Justin as we as we unpack this. And so here's here's one of the things that we're going to be doing. This is this is intended first and foremost to be shown in a in a class. Um, be shown tomorrow. What is that? April third, here at Sunnybrook, and and all of us have to be elsewhere for various ministry uh, related reasons. And so we're going to be showing this and, and in that class, the the first half of the class. Um, you guys or they, depending on who's listening to this, they, um, they walk through the text kind of verse by verse and, and pull out all of its meaning and really go through it a really slow way to understand what is it that, that the Apostle John was saying here. And then in the second half of the class, typically Jim will go in and discuss some overarching theological concepts out of that, out of that particular text and how we can then take those ancient principles Um, and the the universal truths that are found therein, and apply them here in our lives today. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do here um, uh, on this particular podcast slash teaching video. So I want to start with Justin um, in terms of let's do some theological application work here. Help us understand. Jim used a, a word there that was very interesting. He said something along the lines of, God's love demands our love for one another. It's it's a, it's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Help us see that connection. Why is it such a one-to-one correlation?
2: Uh, there's two arguments for it. Number one, he says that outright. So sometimes he just says what we're supposed to do. He gives us a command, mm-hmm. right? And so that's that's kind of the obvious. Okay, we obey the commands of God. But then other times there's maybe not as much of a correlation. So what are what are our guiding principles for discovering what it is we're actually supposed to practice? Yep to yep. do in everyday life based on who God is. And something that I learned long ago that was really helpful for me was this kind of guiding principle of we have to see the truth of God which then informs our identity which this then gives us a guiding principle which this then gives us a practice. So God so God identity our identity mm-hmm, principle okay practice. Okay. So we have these two big words you've probably heard before orthodoxy correct or right um, belief or opinion, and then orthopraxy, correct or right, action or doing. And so our orthopraxy follows from our orthodoxy. We have who God is, what he has done, informs who we are, informs what it is we are supposed to do. Okay? And so this one, this one, John tees it up for us. This is probably the easiest example in the yeah, Bible yeah, of, this one of what this looks like. So he literally says, God is love. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's our first column. We see God is love, and so that means that God loves us. Again, he says that phrase too. Mm -hmm. Not only is God is love, but that we are loved by God. Okay, that's the who God is, that is um, the what God has done. And how does that form our identity? Well, that means we are loved. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are the loved ones of God. And through faith in Jesus, okay, God showed his love in this work that Jesus died for us. Okay, that's Romans 5, 8. All right. And that's the, the thing that God did and showed us in his work. Now, our identity, if we have faith in that work, in that person of Jesus, is now we become children. We become heirs. We are the ones who proclaim and live out that love. And so that gets into our guiding principle, which is we love God and we love others. Okay, so God loves us. He showed this to us in Jesus and in many other things, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that gives us our identity that we are loved ones by God, children of God, heirs of God. And the guiding principle is that we love God and therefore we love others. And now we get to get into the nuts and bolts, the practice of what that looks like. Okay. That could look like praying for your enemy. You can Mm -hmm. pray for your enemy because God saved you while you were still his enemy. Okay, you can um, go the extra mile for somebody who is an oppressor of you because God went far above and beyond Mm -hmm. what we deserved. But what doesn't fit is hate. Mm -hmm. You can't work backward from that one because God does not hate us. He hates sin. Yeah, the Bible's clear about that. But you'll read here in this passage that one of the practices we cannot get to from God loves us and therefore we love God and we love others is that we can hate our brothers and sisters that we can hate people because they look or talk or seem different than us. So that's, to me, that's the best guiding principle for just understanding how theology informs our practice. And the other, I mean, this just gets into a different subject, but it's a great test for churches and for individual believers. Mm-hmm. What are we doing and why are we doing that? What, 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 is, what principle of God or identity of God is this practice based off of? And a lot of times when we do that, when we examine ourselves in this way, we start to realize we don't know why or Hmm. maybe there isn't like a character or an attribute of God or something that God has done that matches up with this practice and we need to now repent and change our mind to change our ways. Can you give us an example of that? Hate, my brother. Okay. Well, I mean, that's the simple, that's the one John gives us. Yep. Racism specifically. Let's get into, uh, like there's no, there's no way you can read the course of Old to new, okay, all the whole scriptures and get to a place where you can say, I hate somebody of this other race, Mm -hmm. and I can justify that. Now, many people have tried, right? Many people have tried and tried to use certain Bible verses to promote it while ignoring others, Mm -hmm. right? But that's—you can't get there. You can't get back to that God is love and that Christ has died for his enemies.
1: So, and this is um, particularly when there's not like an expressed command against— then we could work backwards from that and say there's really no precedent for. Right, there's it's an- not rooted. Are these there's no principles here that are rooted in our character, which is rooted in God's character. Mm-hmm. And so whenever, this, wherever is that that wrong headedness, that wrong direction. Yeah. Okay.
2: This one's easy because it tees yeah. it up for yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But there are ones that get a lot more complicated. Right, That it's not explicitly told to us by God, do or don't do this. Mm -hmm. And we have to work backwards from either the identity of God or from the practice that we see in our lives or in the church. And the other thing that's cool about this is that when we practice it properly, based on who God is, what he has done, our identity, and then the guiding principle into the practice. Once those practices are lived out within the body, it starts pointing back to the identity of God, Mm -hmm. to the work of God. And that's what it's supposed to do. Our practice, our lives, our churches are supposed to point back to who God is and what he's done. Yeah. And so it's this beautiful cycle, which this is where theology is really helpful. A lot of people think, oh, that's not for me. I don't like thinking in that way. It's too deep. No, it's it really is helpful and necessary in order to guide not only who we are, but what it is we're supposed to do in this life.
1: And not only that, it's not rooted in just an idea. It's rooted in the character of
0: God, which is revealed in Scripture.
1: And that kind of holds us on track.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it, one of the helpful kind of logical paradigms that, that I think this text employs very overtly, but you can use it in other ones that it, that aren't so clear, is it's basically an if-this-then-that scenario. Yep. If God is love, then we love one another. And mm-hmm. then you can reverse those, like you, like you said, and, and so if we don't love one another, then the then it's, if I don't love, then not that, right? Yeah. It's, yep. and, and, and you're saying here it's very, very, you know, kind of in your face. Sure. Other places, there's a little bit more interpretive legwork to be done in order to find that that logical string of consequences. Sure.
2: So here's what somebody would say to this. Okay, here's what I'm going to do, Jim. I see God is love. So that's that's the first part. Therefore, we are left by God. Okay, now our guiding principle, we love God and we love others. Therefore, we're going to love people by accepting everything they think, say, and do hmm. and not speak against it. What do you say to that?
1: I would say that doesn't line up with the character of
2: God. That doesn't line up with the character of God because of what else we see in the rest of the scripture. That's not sure. how he loves. That's not how he loves. Yeah. Actually, yeah. he says, and we see in Hebrews chapter 12. Yeah. right. Yeah, God yeah, yeah. disciplines those that he loves. We see in Matthew that we actually are to discipline our brothers and our sisters because that's actually showing them more love. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not loving you if I let you continue to go down a path where I see your destruction. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not loving the body of Christ if you're causing division and I don't send you out of it for a time.
1: It's not just that it's not beneficial for the rest of the body. It's actually not beneficial for Jim. If Jim is divisive, mm-hmm. then it's, it's destructive to the body, but it's also destructive to Jim. Right. And not just in the future judgment, but even now, it's like we see it all the time. We see people that are destructive, people that are um, cre- cre- creating the di- 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 <laughs> the disunity. Sure. We see them suffering. And to not confront them and to not mm-hmm. push them, to not move them forward actually is an unloving act.
2: It's, it's short-sighted and it's full of fear to not discipline yeah this text, to not, talks, this text describes that fear actually to yeah. not in love and in truth say what you are believing is false and it's leading you to saying things that are false and it's leading you to do things or allow other to do things that are false and you might not think they're a big deal right now but it has repercussions for you in all other areas you can't think one thing about god and and Ignorantly think that that doesn't affect other things that you believe about God and therefore yeah. other things you believe about yourself and other things you believe about the church and other things that you're going to do or allow others to do. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, it's very foolish. Yeah.
0: One of the things that we are very um, careful to do, uh, especially here at Sunnybrook, whenever we get to a section in either a lesson or a sermon or a podcast where we're doing theological reflection is... We do as much as we're able to do to let the text answer the questions. Sometimes yeah. I think yeah. we we read the text to to use it as a bit of a springboard, and then we talk. We have the you know the rest of the conversation with eyes up, and it it just becomes our best ideas or, phil, uh, you know, philosophy or whatever. But let's let the text. I, I have some questions of this text, sure. okay. and what I'm trying to do is you know I've 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 studied through this and I've taught it before, and I'm I'm trying to to in some ways ask the questions that I think are important to ask in terms of clarification of the text, mm-hmm. but I think rather common questions that that we could read, um, you know, discover as we read through this. So you've already discussed about the idea that there are certain, it's not commending all kinds of love so-called within the church. You've yep. already mentioned that, yep. but let me just read this first verse and then I've got a question for you. So it says, uh, well, seventh verse, 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So, um, is it possible for me to read that in, you know, I'm I'm, I'm intentionally reading it in isolation because this is how I can force it. Is it possible for me to read that and start to look at perhaps my unbelieving or skeptical neighbors and just start to really appreciate how kind they are and how, you know, whenever I went on vacation, they mowed my yard. I didn't even ask them to. And, you know, when we're sick, they bring us soup and they're just genuinely loving people. That I've seen this verse used to extend a degree of hope to someone who does not align themselves with Jesus or his kingdom um, and say, well, obviously there's something godly about this person. How, how do we respond to that? I mean, I would respond by saying
1: what what you're doing is you're picking up on something that um, that the rest of the text does not seem to want to support. So when you go back previous before verse seven and you look at what he's describing here, he's describing that uh, there's a little bit of how do you know that you have there's test the spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit. So the the way that the spirit moves is in coordination and connection with with how God moves. Um, God moves then by the spirit in us, and these become the signs in which we can recognize it in one another. So there's a lot of we language and a lot of us language, and then from there, in the entire rest of the the seventh or the fourth chapter, beginning from verse seven and on, he is literally describing that how can we know that God is within us, and it is the love that we demonstrate. The love that we demonstrate for God and the love that we demonstrate naturally for one another. So he doesn't move to a conversation of, hey, how can you know if anyone, anywhere, anytime is um, is from God? Well, because love basically is a generic attribute. No, it's not that. If you notice how it even continues on, he is describing this love that they have for one another. That love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. And so who is this? They're the people that know God. If you back up into previous verses 4 and 5 and 6 of that chapter. It's the same thing. It's the same idea that he's bringing up. These are the signs that we know that we are from God. And what John is saying is, is that one of the most natural ways that we should do it is to recognize that love. I would say that instead of me going to my neighbor who doesn't have a born of God, and John actually Mm -hmm. describes in the words of Jesus, that anyone born of God is born of both water and the spirit. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to even look at how all scripture holds together. It's not so much um, I saw somebody who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, who doesn't believe in God, is not, does not have the Holy Spirit, but seems to have a form of love, as Justin described it, a loveness, or lovingness or a kindness mm-hmm. towards others. You don't work it backwards like that, but I think you could say, hey, I've got this buddy named Steve, and he doesn't demonstrate any kind of love for, for anybody. Like, he says he loves God, but I don't see it anywhere else. Mm. Then I think we could go back and we say, we could say, I don't know if he was born of God. So mm-hmm. I would say that's where the text is going. The text is actually reverse engineering that a little bit and saying if, if there is somebody who is making a claim to love and they don't, or making a claim to love God, but we don't see it in this, we don't see an evidence of that love, mm-hmm. both for God and others, and you'll see how that develops, um, you can say something is broken. So it, it, it answers, and maybe even fundamentally, one of the most interesting questions, and I know that we're going to say, well, who gets to judge? Another oh, That's a different question. Um, you can wonder how well someone knows god Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and desires to honor him and to love him by the lack of love in their lives and not just this um this arbitrary cannot be calculated love for god because i guess get to say that and act any way that i want yeah jesus doesn't allow that god doesn't allow that so you may be able to say not to your neighbor Um, who is by no means claiming to be a Christian, that just because of a loving act to the dog down the street, um, they're a fully born follower of Jesus Christ. But you might be able to say to your neighbor who claims to be a Christian that I don't know if I see the evidence of that transforming birth because I don't see love.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the, you know, considering uh, kind of all that we do in the realm of, of, quote, discipleship around here, I think one of the, the most, the, one of the greatest pandemics I've noticed over the years is that we all have a kind of a, a creepy degree of comfort with perpetual immaturity. yeah. And I am yeah. willing to yeah. just let yeah. Justin kind of go on for years claiming some degree of, you know, love for Christ with no fruit whatsoever manifesting itself. And... And that is, that is bad for Justin, and it's bad for me. Yep. And and we just have this near unending patience for it. I actually think we have a disregard for it. I don't know if it's patience so much as a complete apathy. But this text really doesn't allow that. No, it doesn't. I mean, this
1: whole book doesn't allow it. I mean, put it in this whole book. If someone claims that they do not have sin there, that person is a liar and the truth is not in them. So it doesn't give a lot of room for, um, for that kind of wishy-washy, you know our culture just is so afraid to make any judgment mm-hmm. at all that we and by the way by not making a judgment you're making a judgment if a, <laughs> if a doctor looks at um at a spot on my skin that looks cancerous and says I don't really want to say anything. Yeah, That is a judgment, Yeah, right? So by us abdicating, that's kind of what you were getting at, Justin, by us abdicating some of these responsibilities that we have, these loving responsibilities of discipline that we have towards one another by saying nothing, we're saying something and that something is destructive.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think you've heard this verse, right? This popular American-ism from the Holy American... The book of Second Opinions. Second Opinions is, if you disagree with me or if you go against something that I am, you hate me. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That if you don't agree with me, you hate me. Yeah. Right? That's kind of the unfortunate reality that we live in. And therefore, how can these Christians over here say that they're the ones that understand love? They are the loving ones, that God loves them and maybe even loves us, but then they speak against a core part of who I am. And how dare they withhold something that, is rightfully mine mm-hmm. to have or do yeah. you know so they see this this that's their disconnect that's this eternal gap between the world and um the kingdom of god right mm-hmm. that we understand love in a completely a much more full way and they have this limited view of what love mm-hmm. is that love is only erotic or love is only acceptance and mm-hmm. those are such small, fine points of the fullest picture that is God.
0: That's, that's doing theology with your eyes up mm-hmm. instead of at the text, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. From now, our own experiences. Yeah. Now, Justin, before we move on to, to my next question regarding the text, so regarding verse seven, I've, I've demonstrated a, a poor reading of verse seven. Can you give us, you know, a couple, just few hermeneutics tips on how to not do what I've just done?
2: Sure, sure. Tonight, uh, or Monday night, April 2nd, at School of Theology, we'll be going over the literary context yep. and what that means. And essentially, you can let Scripture or you can read into Scripture and make it say kind of whatever you want, depending mm-hmm. on the text, right? If you read Psalm 14.1 in isolation, you could say the Bible says there is no God,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? No, the verse actually says the fool in his heart says that there is no God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in this verse, I could rip um, chap- or verse 7 out on its own and make it say a lot of things and make myself actually feel pretty good about where I stand as far as how loving I am in the sense of the world Mm -hmm. right but with literary context that means we have to understand the verses around that verse the chapters around that verse we have to understand the book as a whole as jim was describing we have to understand which testament it was in we have to understand the meta-narrative of scripture and that's why we at Sunnybrook are so passionate about teaching the bible so faithfully and so fully because we've grown up in a culture that likes the one verse Mm -hmm. calendar Uh, from the Christian bookstore, (laughs) right? And so we have a lot of folk theology. I like to tear it. Right. We have a lot of folk theology, bad theology that has led to bad thinking and bad practicing. Yeah. And we, churches can take some of that blame. Yeah.
0: And so in this hermeneutic class that we're doing here at Sunnybrook, one of my kind of easiest suggestions, if, if I could tell you to change one thing about your Bible study habits that would really just kind of remove a lot of errors from the table, It's stop reading verses. Just read paragraphs. Don't stop short of a paragraph. And I'd rather you read chapters, to be honest. Oh, goodness. But if you can just go with whole paragraphs, that's a complete thought from, say, John.
2: Yeah. In 2010, when God changed my life through the help of Sonny Brook and Jim Johnson and many other people, I remember telling Jim, like, I've never read the Bible in bulk. I've never sat and read whole books at a time or major chapter sections sure, at a time. Sure. And it just changes the way you see Scripture. Mm-hmm. It changes the way you see God because it, it totally upends your taking one verse out of the um, Sermon on the Mount in the full picture of Matthew.
1: Yeah, that's why you can't look at this. You can't look at the beginning of this chapter, verse 7 particularly. Okay, It's not the beginning of the chapter, the beginning of, our, of this section. You can't begin in verse 7 and then move from that and say, what John is trying to argue here are people do not need Jesus— and they can have the love of God apart from um, what Christ has done for them and what God has done for them in Christ. I mean, you can't get anywhere near that, yeah, because you're going to you're going to fold into some statements. Um, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's abide abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Like the the whole context pulls us into a relationship yeah. with God through Christ and describes God's gift to us as Jesus, mm-hmm. it almost presumes that this is a gift that we have already received. Mm-hmm. And then it's saying, okay, if you have received the propitiation, so the removal of God's anger, um, Jesus propitiated that, right? He bore the weight of the the anger of God upon, um, upon himself so that we wouldn't receive it, and therefore we should love like this. How do you get... <laughs> How do you get from that verse seven that you know that you can be actually a believer and be disconnected from what God has done in Jesus Christ? The the paragraph doesn't let you do it. Yes,
0: but this is this is an example of the danger of um and, and I love this app, but this is the danger of my engagement with Scripture being limited to the U version verse of the day. Yeah. If that is no, if I that's like my a... daily time with the Lord, I read that verse and I pray and I meditate on it on my way to work. I'll take it over nothing, but just barely because you really you're always at the risk of misconstruing a a more intricate thought from the biblical author.
1: Uh, let me and you you agree with this. So, but here here's what I would tell you. I'm I'm fine with you taking it over nothing. I'm not okay with everybody That's taking it over nothing. That's what I was going <laughs> to. Right? No, ask. But truly, like cuz I know yep. you have and and this is what I want you to hear. When when we take a verse and we remove it out the reason why some of us do better with that going back to what you said earlier that some of us are very content with a lack of maturity so i'm i'm when you, when you say that ryan totally cool with it i get it cuz you're able because of other studying that you've done you're able to keep that somewhat in the ballpark but you know that those of us who've been you know are say who are more mature who are more learned I would tell you, I've done that. I've done it with verse of the day and kind of went down a particular road and I I didn't go totally to crazy town, but I moved into the town next door. I was in the twin city of crazy town. And then when I went back and I said, wow, I never noticed that um, that text from Nahum. If you look at the verse around it, it kind of sets you in a little bit of a different direction, right? We've all been surprised by Mm -hmm. that. And so I would say, um, I would take it over nothing um, some people though, I would say maybe, maybe not, no, maybe nothing is safer. <laughs> maybe nothing is. Yeah. You might not want to get involved
0: in that. Oh, that's good. Okay. Here's my next question. So I'm going to jump down and, and we would encourage you. I know if you're, if you're in this Bible study, you guys have already worked through the text in a pretty exhaustive way, but if you're just listening to this on our podcast, I would encourage you to probably even pause just quickly and read verses seven all the way through. Uh, I think it ends in verse 21. Um, just kind of get an idea. Cause I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, but I'm going to jump down to verse 11. John continues and he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? We've said that a number of times. But here's my question. Is the lo- is the one another, does that phrase, is that referring to a specific <laughs> people? And if so, which yeah. I think I kind of know the answer. If yep, so, yep, yep. Um, why limit it to that, that realm? So who does it
2: mean? You shall be known by... Your love for one another. And who is – this is a different text, but same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But same author. Who,
1: who is – Same speaker.
2: Who is who is being spoken to, Jim?
1: Uh, Jesus is the one speaking, and he is speaking to John
2: and to the rest of the disciples in
1: John 13.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so going, who, going who's beyond first beyond John the being written to, I guess?
1: Right? Who's first John now being written to? To the one another's that are living in Ephesus, the church right. in the Ephesus. Church. Yeah and that's why i would say you know it's interesting because we look at these one another texts and um there is there is right now it is popular to uh to begin to question how much we care for one another i i don't know well maybe I, i have some ideas about how we got here but we've got to the wrong place about how the church is inwardly focused and all we do is care about one another to exclusion of the world. And I know so many pastors who describe how that is wrong and that's a shame. Jesus didn't love um, uh, didn't love the one another's, right? the disciples as much as he loved all of the people out there that weren't which by the way is not actually true. Um, and I would say that um, the love of Jesus is something that we are supposed to model. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Jesus describes even one disciple that at some level, the disciple whom he loved, he loved is John. And so there's something there's something special about that. So I do believe that God loves all people and that God cares for all of his creation. And mm-hmm. anyone who can hear me say this in the class or in the podcast, like God loves you. But there seems to be, just like Andrea and I know, a hierarchy to our love. Sure. which doesn't mean that we don't love everyone but it means there are those that love is an action it's not just an emotion And so there is this this natural acting out of love that um, Jesus says that John follows is the love for one another that one another is the family of God that surrounds John and uh, the the people that are reading first John here.
0: So if I could ask us to probably overreach, and 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 speculate to some degree why the text doesn't say something more along the lines of if uh l- let's get the exact wording right. Um, if God so loved us, we also ought to love everyone why why is John tightening that that directive and, and maybe while you guys kind of
1: process yeah, that's that a good question
0: so here's 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 um, in John in first John two verse fifteen. And this sounds very, very similar in terms of the way that it's all set up and constructed. But the audience or the the object of of discussion is a little different. So John says in the very same book, just a few chapters before, chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world, and then he explains what that would be, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the contrarian in me, and I'm not trying to poke holes in John's um, in John's beautiful letter here. I, I, but I am—I I hope that this can be a clarifying sure. exercise for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Why does John seem to say you should not actually love, and, and I'm going to say more than he said, everybody, but it's your love for one another that testifies to the love of God?
2: So here's my question back to that. Is he talking about only people there or the things and the repercussions of this world? Because we could go back to the same author, mm-hmm. world-famous for God so loved the world, right? Same word, cosmo, cosmon is used for both of those. Yep. yep. So, so how do we know? Yep. How do we know John in this instance of chapter two is He's talking just referring about to things, is yeah. sin <laughs> or fleshly desires, and not people. Yeah.
0: So, and, and I and I think that's that that I think that that's the difference between the two texts, and I don't think that First John two is saying you cannot have love for worldly people right but help us understand as a class as 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 an audience on a podcast how do we determine the difference between those two reference when they seem especially in the construction of the sentences it seems like they are saying um they're saying different things in a similar way about two different groups of people yeah i mean I, no yeah here's how i would
1: look at it though is that in 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 part since love is an action And so it's not so much you need to have love in your heart for. Mm -hmm. The Bible really calls us to love action-wise. That First of all, looking at the text, it's it's a little bit like if you were to command me to love someone, going back to what we've talked about in a lot lately about the concentric circles of responsibility in terms of discipleship and stuff, that there is like a hierarchy of love that exists in my own family, um, in my own life, that um, of all the people that I love in the world, there is one that I'm married to, and there is a degree of love that I owe her, a degree of, of constant interaction and of constant caring for that just seems very, very natural. And in, in many ways, she, she takes the full brunt or the fullest brunt of, uh, of my actions, my children, my, the, my coworkers, uh, my, my neighbors. Um, and then as it begins to extend, I think it just continues to extend. Mm-hmm. And so I think what, what John is describing here is somewhat a very natural thing. I mean, who are you with most of the time? And the answer is the one another's.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And so do you love them? Yes or no? And so, yes, I love them. And so the majority of what Paul is just, or what John here is, just, I'm so used to talking about Paul. The majority of what John is describing here is kind of like in the most natural outpouring of your life, where you spend the majority of your time with the one another's, I.e. the one another's that are family, and particularly the whole family of God, there should be a natural way in which you're going to be loving one another, mm. and so I think that is kind of the the, the natural bent yeah. that he is he is kind of uh, orienting these Christians around, um, and but I but I would also say that in connection with that that there wouldn't be a dichotomy against that necessarily. I think that, mm-hmm. for example, I don't think he would say don't love. The, the ones who are not right. Right. I don't think he would say that. I think that there is something that is broken there, but sometimes you're overstepping your responsibility. It's a little bit like Paul describes that when it comes to going back to the discipline that Justin was describing, I don't know if it is the responsibility of the church to care for all the needs of the world. I think that is God's responsibility, and as I think those needs are uh, placed in our direct path, then we act like Jesus would act in terms of those. But I, I love to ask somebody um, that really wrestles with like where their responsibilities are for love, mm-hmm. and um, and I mean that by an action. I don't just mean a motive. Like I'm an action. I, I I love to ask, particularly young mothers. Um, do you feed all the all the, all the children that are hungry at five o'clock every day in Stillwater, or even in your neighborhood? Like, do you do that? Do you just or even at your house? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully they go, do that. Go back to bed. Go, go back. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's five o'clock. You should be back in bed. Um, but notice how important it becomes. That we sit down and we say, okay, like Andrea and I, Andrea particularly, right? She, she knew that around 5, 5.30 every day as I'm coming home from work, um, the kids are going to be fed and she's mm-hmm. going to feed them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm sure there are other children. I've, it's so funny. I love asking people that question. Have you ever felt the burden of feeding everyone in Stillwater? And I've not met a person yet. Who says no? But I said, but if you knew that there was a child on the other uh, the other side of town right now that was hungry and that you could feed them, would you feed them? And the answer has always been, yes, I would feed them. I would gladly share what I have with them. Right. And I think it's a little bit of like that. I mean, I think we are we overreach because of maybe some of the desires of our heart, and then we take on responsibilities that are not ours. So I'll have a young couple come into my office, and this young woman is not being loved like her husband the way that she should. And I just want to, man, I just want to take her home, <laughs> yeah. right? I do like, I yeah. want to care for her. I wish I, if, if she had me as her husband, her life would be a whole lot better off. Don't you think? Sure. Like, but how many of you go, okay, that, that's really going to get messy after a while. Or you see a child and that child is like not being loved and cared for by his parents. Yeah. And then, so you go, okay, listen, I think I need to love them. Okay. But if you love them like a dad, you're overreaching. And so I think what John and Paul are doing quite naturally is calling us to take care of those responsibilities that we have that are directly in our path. Yeah. And when we step over those, in order that we might reach the next level,
0: there is something broken in that process. Hmm. That's good. Now here's here's so speaking of Paul, I wanna I wanna hear your thoughts on this. Let's do a little theological integration here. So we both agree that first John teaches both that because of God's love, we ought to have love for one another, kind of an inner, inner church, inner body love. And then we also agree with First John that we ought not love the things of this world. Help us integrate that with what we've just preached on from First Corinthians 5 when it comes to church discipline. An, 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 a, a practice that mm. some might say is not loving. Yeah. But take 1 John 4 and the command to love within the church and 1 John 2 and the command to not love the things of this world and help us wow. tie that up into church discipline. That's
2: good. Well, it's, it's when the people of God start to fall into that exact trap of loving the things of this yep. world. Yep. That's when discipline is necessary, right? Or when um, the people of God are starting to integrate um, the metanoia the changed mind or will of that they're supposed to have in christ is not transformed yet and so they're they're having they're needing a their thoughts transformed, which transforms words, transforms actions, right? So that's when discipline comes into place, I would say. I mean, that's the simple answer. Yeah, no, and
1: I'll tell you, the other part that I would say is, it's funny because in this text it talks about that there's no fear in judgment because of the love that we have in God, Mm -hmm. because we know we have this right relationship with him, so I no longer am afraid of punishment. Um, It seems to be connected here that somehow knowing God is following God, is honoring God, and it removes a sense of fear. It gives us a sense of... Of, of ownership and awareness. So one of the ways in which you can know that you truly are saved, which John is going to say in 1 John 5, beginning in verse, I think it's, is it verse 13 is kind of the key one? Um, yes. Yeah, I write these things that you might know, um, uh, to, to, uh, these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life mm-hmm. and then have confidence that we have toward him um, and then he c- continues to go on and talk about this, this incredible relationship that we have with him. And so when you look at um, the connection between judgment and punishment, when you look, go back to the discipline stuff that, that Justin was describing or back into the First Corinthian material, chapter 5, it's interesting that if, I, if Justin said, hey, listen, like, let's go do this, and the this was to rob a bank. And so if Justin and I are talking about this and you know (laughs) that by the time this is done, Justin and I are going to be punished for this, Mm -hmm. for you to not step in and say, listen, guys, like what you are planning will, will reap a whirlwind of punishment. Um, It is the loving thing for you to say to someone else who is choosing an act of rebellion that will be punished. You, you shouldn't do that. You need Mm -hmm. to dial that back. You need to not be involved in that kind of behavior because that kind of behavior will involve judgment. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in First Corinthians five. We 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 pull back from this person so that this person can feel the weight already of God's judgment being mm-hmm. poured out upon them. Um, and so when they do that, when all of a sudden we begin to pull back, and they recognize, "When well, I don't have the favor of everyone around me," the reason why I've told people um, that when I, if I ever begin to choose a lifestyle that does not demonstrate a love for God and a love for one another, you need to pull away so that I get a sense of. In essence, a premature, so before the final time, a pre, a, a premature, but a, a a hint or a gesture of what that um, what that judgment is going to ultimately feel like. And when you do that, that is the loving thing because then I turn around and I go, wow, like you guys saved me from the day of judgment when I meet Jesus and I get the full force of his of his judgment. Um, and so that's I think where the First Corinthians five material
2: fits perfectly. Into the First John four material. Sure, I think the thing that people would want to know, I would want to know, is how do you? What about the distinction of, yeah, I I, I am pretty clear that I'm not supposed to steal or rob a bank, right? That seems pretty clear that there'll be major repercussions. What about those more gray areas, where? Um, there maybe isn't a specific command on not to do this specific activity, but the church overall would say that is not of God. And therefore, if you keep going down that path, it's going to lead to your destruction. Mm. But there's a, a legitimate disagreement. Like, we don't disagree that this is wrong. You say it is, church, but I don't. Um, how how do we—
1: Give me an example.
2: Um, so— In our culture, uh, a lot of people sexually will say, I'm a Christian, but yet I I believe this about sex or sexuality. I don't think it's wrong, but you do. Hmm. Even though we would say, well, scripture is pretty clear on that. They would say, well, no, I listened to this guy and he believes the Bible and taught this.
1: Sure. And that's where I would say, listen, then if that's the guy that you need to listen to, and if that's the guy that has set your ethical standard, then that's probably the guy that you need to associate with. Like, we don't have that understanding and here's why we don't have that have that understanding it's because the bible speaks this about porneia, which is the the greek word for fornication mm. and and so that's why we believe these things and that's why we believe these things and if if you don't believe those things if you see a different view that's why i am I'm, I'm okay with 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 allowing in that sense like some some rooms or some freedoms to say listen like i I'll, justin we just see that differently Um, and specifically, I think that you need to go and associate more with that person. Mm -hmm. And what I find is if we could do that, if we freed people up to have that kind of space, what everyone would begin to find is that there is something that becomes almost more fundamentally broken. There is a, Mm -hmm. there is more that is separating us. And this comes back to, 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 to love and how, then how love is actualized because if, if, if say, we were, we were going to be loving and caring and hold people to a loving standard, and then we began to become more legalistic in that, right? Because you could, you could become very legalistic in what that love looks like. Um, It it might not even be as simple as sexual immorality. It could be like, I don't like the way you guys are always creating these barriers and walls and Mm -hmm. fences and putting people in these categories. And now all of a sudden love becomes a new category. Um, There's something fundamentally flawed or broken with this. Um, And therefore, I don't know if I can be a part of this fellowship. Um, and, and I, I'll tell you, I think there can be something rather even healthy about that where we have to own some of the implications of our, of our theology. And so the more that we do that, the more we say, okay, Justin, like if, if that's what you genuinely believe it looks like, well, then why don't you, I mean, and I mean this in a nice way, why don't you associate yourself fully with them? And I think nine times out of 10, maybe seven times out of 10, what you're going to find is well, because I don't like this about what they say or this about what they say or this about what they say. I just like this one thing that they mm-hmm. say. <laughs> yeah. And that's a Rob Bell issue, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. it's not like Rob Bell, the only thing that he gets wrong is his view of the afterlife and um, the, the, the ultimate reality of heaven and hell and that. Sure. It's, it's much deeper than that. And people are going, well, I kind of just want this mm-hmm. one aspect mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> yes, I like his sexual <laughs> ethic. Um, I, but I also we want... to. buffet a, theology. I, I, yes, I want to a, a-, a la carte. I want to a la carte, and that, that's exactly it. And that's the part where I would say, when we when we could hold to a more uniform theological um, understanding of things, it creates the the distance that some of us almost need to feel Yes. yes. where I'm going to
2: say, i mean, I got to come back around because right. I can't live in that world. So one of the things that both makes me very sad and both very assured in my short time in ministry is when we see people that we have to do this with, which we say... If you can't submit to what we believe who we believe god is and therefore who you are and yeah. there yep. what you should do like we need to cut ties and when they say okay i'm leaving i'm out and then wisdom is kind of proven by its children over time <laughs> and they come back and say you're cool. right like it hurts us to see them go and that they're not submitting to the yes. authority of scripture and to the church but then Almost most times, like people who actually are living by the Spirit, yeah. come back and say, "You were right. I am so. I, yeah. I, I, I wish I would have listened the first time. Yep.
0: Right. And, and we and don't. We see that. Yes. That's no, not like I'm. I we're I making
2: up a mythical story. We yeah. see that. Yeah. Quite yeah. often. Yeah. If if you. if it's not about any
1: one of us, right? It's not like Jim's view is right. It's it's our view of the scriptures. Right. We are going to trust. And so it's not any one of us that experiences Mm -hmm. that. We all have experienced. And I'm not even saying that other churches don't experience it too. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about our view of discipleship or our view of ministry. It's our view of Jesus and our view of the scripture Mm -hmm. that begins to say, and listen, and that's why I love the openness of that which is, um, you know, when, when you begin to find the emptiness that you think you're going to think you're going to find fulfillment and you're going to find emptiness there, Mm -hmm. um, I want to point you to a direction. Like we love you and we care for you. And in the same way that Jesus loves you, um, we, we're, we want you to come back. And I love it when that happens, Mm -hmm. when people come back and they realize, wow, they have made some mistakes in some of the choices that they've made. They went to a place that was more permissible and not beneficial, (laughs) right? And so we say yes. Um, all things are benef- all, all things are permis- permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Yeah. And that's kind of our view of a lot of these things that you're describing.
0: And we would say saying that is an act of loving one another. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I, I do have one more question, but because I do know that this is this is going to be played in in a bit of a time restrictive format, Steve, what what's our clock right now? Forty-seven. Forty-seven. We probably need to wrap it up. We um, we actually. We might just come in and finish out First John later on. So um, I appreciate you guys and your insights. I think it's been very helpful, and I think you guys have clarified a lot of things in the text. I hope things have gone well in your Bible study, or if you're listening to this on podcast, I hope this was helpful. We'd love to hear some feedback um, in class. You guys just go ask and answer your questions. She's got the answers, and if you're listening to the <laughs> podcast, send an email to steve at sunnybrookcc.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks.